Who are the people who hike the Pacific Crest Trail? Other than me and Liz, who did it 20 years ago. What's their typical age, gender, educational background? How many foreigners, like me? What about their planning? Do they train? Why choose southbound over northbound? Which direction is most likely to succeed? And most fascinating, what advice would they pass on to this year's hikers? Statistics to help answer these questions and many, many more are contained in the Hiker Survey, which a PCT hiker, trail name Mac, has been compiling for 10 years. If you haven't signed up and you plan to or are hiking the PCT, head to halfwayanywhere.com and get your name down to take part in the current survey. There's a link in the show notes. Mac is probably away hiking right now, but you can catch up with him on Instagram. I'll try to break this podcast into digestible chunks rather than a blizzard of statistics. And we'll start with his first PCT hike that helped inspire the survey. My, my two PCT hike experiences are very different from one another because one was done when I had zero backpacking experience and the PCT was still relative to what it is now uh, kind of unknown. That's the one. I'll focus on because that's also the one the survey came out of. That was 2013. Oh, right. So it's just when Wild was coming out. Yeah. So the book was out and the movie was being filmed. And like, it was funny because everybody was like, oh, they're filming the movie like in so and so place. Like, everybody had some wrong idea about where they were filming the movie along the trail. <laughs> um, but I mean, it had already started to, I, I knew people in 2013 who said, I'm hiking the PCT this year because of Wild, the book. So it was already getting people out onto the trail. When I hiked it in 2013, like I said, it really wasn't as well known. So there wasn't like this wealth of information online about it. There was a couple like people's accounts of things that you should do or whatever, but I was always kind of frustrated by the fact that it's like just one person's interpretation of what's going on. And, you know, there's so many different kinds of people on the trail that, you know, what might be the objectively best thing for me is going to be the objectively worst thing for someone else. And just like when to start, that was like a really big question mark. And I, I just thought it would be cool to kind of get as much information from as many hikers on the trail as I could. And then, put it all together and kind of find the quote unquote average PCT hike for the year. And that's kind of what got the survey started. And I had a good response the first year, like based on me being me and not knowing anything much about like the internet and collecting responses. And well, you're handing out flowers as you go, or how are you getting in touch with them and asking them, could you fill us in what, what's going on there? Initially, it was just me messaging people who I had met on the trail, just, you know, personal friends of mine. And then uh, there was a, a PCT Facebook group that I used. And then, believe it or not, I don't remember if I used it or not, but one of like the big resources that would come up if you were like trying to research the PCT uh, back in, you know, 2012, 2013 was the PCT listserv. Oh, which, I remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember that from here in Scotland. That was the yeah. source of information. So that was like a big thing. And I, I can't remember if I like tried to put out a message on the listserv or not, but uh, I'd completely forgot about that. That's, that just goes to show you, show you how far uh, the PCT has come as far as the resources available. 
the survey, how is it done now, though? Because if anybody's setting off in 2023 and happened to be listening to this, uh, good luck to you, uh, then what do they need to know to take part and share their experience this year? So I have a sign-up form on the website that people can sign up for. Basically, submit your email now to receive the survey when it's released. I, I typically release it uh, in the fall, but I might start doing it earlier because usually all of the updates that I make, I make immediately following the previous year's survey because that's when I get most of the feedback and that's when everything's freshest in my mind. So I have people go on the website and sign up distribution just via all my social media channels. And then something else that I've started doing is trying to coordinate with some local businesses along the trail, like especially pinch points where it's kind of everybody goes through and try to have like a sign up sheet there for people because especially earlier on in the trail, because one of the things that I found is that the survey data skews heavily towards people who have finished the trail, which is good in some regards because there's questions that only those people who hiked the whole trail can answer that somebody who only hiked part of the trail couldn't answer. But I want the data from everybody because it would be great to find out more about, you know, why people didn't finish the trail or where people got off or what happened or that's always something that I, I struggle with is trying to, you know, get the people who stopped hiking in April interested in doing the survey in, you know, September. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that uh, that, that struck me, and I, I'd forgotten all about this, was uh, how many registers, this is back in 20 years ago, how many registers there were along the trail. And we got fed up of filling them all, all in. Is that still the situation? Are there still all this, you know, ton of registers to go? And is this something on top of it? Or has this more or less taken over from that? Because at the kickoff, we met Meadow Ed, uh, he described himself as a trail statistician, and I suspect that mantle might have passed to you, Mac. They, they definitely exist independently of one another because the registers, you know, the ones that are you're talking about, the ones that are just like at a trailhead. They're yeah, trailheads. Like... They're in post offices. Some stores have them, and and there were times we'd hit a town and we could fill in three registers, and you weren't too sure which was the one you ought to be filling in if you really want, you know, to be counted. Yeah, so I, I mean, the registers still exist, uh, more of like a kind of legacy thing. It's just like more of like a trail culture thing more than anything for people to fill it in, like as far as being counted, like, you know, people really are taken at their word whether or not they actually hiked it all. And the registers definitely also, at least in, I don't, I don't remember seeing as many in 2019 as 2013, but they're definitely more heavily concentrated towards the beginning of the trail. I feel like at least the physical ones like out on the trail, like of course there's still like businesses or post offices who will have them occasionally, but there's obviously more hikers now. Uh, and in part of the series, I'm trying to get a handle on how that experience has changed. And you mentioned early about technology uh, having changed things, the PCTL as was, and there are now more apps. Do you find that there's almost too much data and it's kind of diluted across too many sources. I mean, even looking at your website, there's such a slew of data on there. It's kind of, I'm not criticizing it, but it's hard to know where to begin. But, but, and, and you think of all the other things out there, the, the myriad Facebook groups too. Really, it's like for those who are more enthusiastic about planning things. And I guess if you're coming at it from, I've never done this before and I have no idea what to do or where to start, kind of the more data, the more research that you do ahead of time, the more prepared you'll feel like you are. And I I typically tell people I was actually just talking to a 
a friend of a friend yesterday who's going to hike the trail this year. And she was all concerned about all of her planning and all of this. And like one of my biggest pieces of advice was like, you really, you can just like shut out 90% of what you're looking at and worrying about right now, because none of that's going to actually be helpful or applicable to you once you're actually on the trail. And it might be fun and it might make you feel good about planning it right now, but it's, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know the term for it, but it's like the more information that becomes available about the PCT, the PCT has grown equally in popularity and like being known. So it's, you almost don't need that information that's now available to you because the PCT has become like a bigger thing. And now there are businesses along the trail who are hyper aware of the hikers and cater to the hikers. So you really don't have to worry about getting anything done ahead of time besides knowing where your next resupply stop is going to be. Because when you get there, you can be sure that there's going to be a way to get to town. There's going to be a way for you to resupply. There's going to be somewhere for you to stay. It's uh, it's it's not this thing where you're just like in the back country and need to organize like a, a bush plane to come and drop you a package of food or something. It's It, it really is, as long as you can walk from the trailhead at one road to the trailhead at another road, you know, 50, 60, 100 miles away, then that's all you really have to plan for on the PCT nowadays, I feel like. Let, let's dive into some of the data, but but can I just get clear of, of the response numbers you had? Because a lot of this is in percentages. So how many are we talking about in the early days and, and roughly how many responses are you getting? Um, well, say to the last one, to the 2022. So I think my earliest survey the very first one i had maybe like a hundred and something people who responded to it and i actually it's i'm i lost the raw data for the very first survey which makes me sad i still have the aggregate data that i posted but i uh was just using like i don't even remember what platform to collect the responses but i now use something different but oh uh, yeah i say over a hundred people so i'll assume that that's somewhere closer to a hundred than 150. Uh, in 2022, I had, I think, 953 people fill it out. So uh, that, that's a lot. Yeah, it's definitely increased significantly uh, from that that first survey. Do the PCTA incidentally use any of this data? Because I'd imagine, and you, they got they got funding based on the information they got in the trail registers. I'd imagine this would be very useful to them. Yeah, and it's funny because I I actually live in Sacramento now, where the PCTA is based, and I've talked to people at the PCTA, and you know they they're aware of the survey. They don't officially endorse the survey, um, which I think is more just like a bureaucratic thing than anything else. Um, because I've talked to them in the past and said, "Hey, you know what would be great is since you have." the contact oh. information of every person who had got a PCT permit, you know, if you distributed the survey for me or helped me distribute it, you know, that would really go far as or like even reaching, ask them reaching to get in people. touch with you with a permit. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I've I've basically been <laughs> flat out told no <laughs> multiple times. So um I mean, you know, maybe one day, but you know, as long as, you know, I'll I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and you know, it's it'd be nice, but you know, certainly isn't necessary, obviously, to collect uh, responses from hikers.
that's the background, let's try to use max figures to understand who is hiking the PCT now, starting with age, race and gender. It struck me that many more of the hikers were female than 20 years ago. Yeah, it's it's typically a pretty even split. Uh, I feel like there's typically like a couple percentage points more. I mean, probably within the margin of error, um, male hikers than female hikers, but it's a uh, it's a pretty even split typically. Uh, and I mean, from my own experience, both times I've been out on the trail, it's 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 been fairly even. Like there definitely hasn't been a on the Continental Divide Trail in 2017 there was definitely more male hikers than female hikers on the trails. That was fairly obvious, but on the PCT, I didn't really have that same experience. We are just guessing here. Okay. Uh, but I wonder whether that is a reaction to, to the Cheryl Strait book and film as well. It definitely could be. It's, you know, I mean, I don't know when, when you said when you hiked, it was more heavily male and female you're saying uh, i'm 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 certain of it yeah um, okay yeah I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say we're not talking like 90 10 or something but we're talking probably 70 30 um that would be based on my own personal experience and and my recollection from 20 years ago um but but i i found it very difficult though to when we looked at the next thing about age as well to i i couldn't tell you the demographic age spread as it were across the year that i did it but but here it's it, it seems to be 25 to 29 is your is your main your main group from 2022 yeah and you know, from my own experience too, I I do feel like it's was you typically mostly people in their twenties, and then people in like you know I don't know fifty plus almost, and you're kind of missing that thirty to fifty. And my armchair reasoning was like, oh, that must be when people are like having children, and so they can't hike the PCT. But you know, on nuggling down with work and you know just getting on with it, and when some people retire early in their fifties, so can yeah yeah okay, yeah. yeah kind of at least to be like a very clear there was like the young people and the old people and you know the old people were you know 60 plus and the young people were all like fresh out of school and you know it it, it didn't at least used to be like a very big thing it was you know everybody was still an equal everybody was still friends out there i think nowadays it's a little more clicky out on the trail but yeah definitely the the old young split with like the valley in the middle and and, and mostly white overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly white yeah and that's this year 90.7 percent of hikers i mean from my data were white which is means 10 percent of hikers weren't but i mean it's it's still overwhelmingly white and that's what it's been since i hiked in 2013 as well mm. and, and looking at this you the, again 47 percent have got a bachelor's degree uh, and uh, again, seventy-eight percent heterosexual. It, it's very difficult not to bring up a position where you think about the the main hikers being people, young people who have left college, university, uh, and uh, maybe had just had a little bit of a job, and then are doing this while they're kind of trying to sort out what they want to really want to do with their lives. I, I know it's a huge generalization, but you, <laughs> but, but, but you kind of, I'm getting that picture and I, I don't, and I don't have the experience to back it up. So I'm wondering if I'm right or whether I'm just, just, no, no, I mean, like this. that's, it's, it's honestly the, the data is not frustrating to me sometimes, but it's like, I'm just, come on. Cause literally what you described and literally what the data represents was exactly me when I hiked <laughs> the DCT the first time. Like, 
I'm like, oh, I'm a white, straight, 20-something male from California with a bachelor's degree who is, you know, just going out on the trail because don't really know what else to do and trying to figure it out. Like, Yeah, I, I, I was aware of the, of the, you know, the white middle-class decent job degree privilege when I was hiking, but without necessarily quite the, the, the range spread. But most were solo, and most who started with someone stayed with them. So that kind of surprised me, actually. I, there was not too many bust-ups. I don't know. People worry about starting solo, but it really is the way to do it, especially if you're not doing it like with like your partner or something, because to try to stick with somebody who you might not have spent, you know, a 24 hours a day every day with before is introducing another variable that could potentially lead to a lot of not good times on the hike. So, yeah, I mean, every year there's a couple of people who report starting in a relationship and then ending the trail not in a relationship with the person that was their hiking partner so the trail that's gonna be difficult yeah it definitely ruins some and i even know people i i have a good friend who you know hiked the whole trail with his partner and they split up in washington i think somewhere but uh i think it's also a great test of our relationship like if you can finish a through hike with somebody like that means you're pretty rock solid and you know you guys can get through a lot together well i'd been in a relationship for a couple of years when uh, when we did our hike uh, and we got married shortly afterwards and we're still together and that's 20 years on so i think you're right it's uh, there you yeah, all right. <laughs> a critical test to destruction has the typical hiker changed in the years you've been doing this survey so according to the data I have I, in 2019, and I want to do this again this year because this year all I've had 10 years worth of data, but in 2019, I looked at the seven previous years of data to kind of try to compare how things had changed. And the most interesting thing about the data is probably the fact that it's remained relatively the same, at least according to the data that I have. So uh, the one thing that has changed a little bit, at least from my data, is that in 2016, the percentage of international hikers jumped up from around 15% to 30%. And I think that is held true through this year as well. Yeah, this year we had almost 40% international hikers. So uh, I think that's the one thing that has changed a lot is, man, maybe that's a symptom of there being more information available now so people overseas can feel a little more confident. But I mean, I'm guessing... You came from overseas as oh, well, yeah, or were you absolutely. already living here? No, we 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 very much uh, came from overseas, and I would maybe look at the 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 rate of the dollar against the euro. That could be that could be one as well, yeah. Um, although although last year, uh, I think the dollar was incredibly strong. So, but 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 by then they've you've kind of committed, you know, you've committed to planning, and you and off you go. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and also also so many people. Probably, I don't know if the, I don't know if the, these last year and, and this coming year will be typical because so many people had such a shakeup, didn't they, during COVID, and we were all kind of like got this blast of mortality headed our way, and we suddenly went crikey, you know, we better do the thing we've always wanted to do because who knows what's around the corner, and uh, yeah, and so I think maybe that skews a little bit of the figures going forward. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's always hard to know exactly what or why things turn out a certain way. And 
they yeah. might be buried in the data and there might be a question I could start asking, but yeah, I, I, I'm just me. Every year I have people who reach out to me and offer to help with the data. And every year those offers of help ultimately fizzle out into those people just ghosting me. So <laughs> I do as I do as much as I can on my own. Yeah, that's statistics though. Always raise more questions yeah. than answered. Exactly. Now we know who, how about how? How do people hike the trail? And to begin with, how much planning do they do? I'm a fan of test hikes, testing equipment, and in 2002 we prepared all our boxes before we started. But we had done quite a few multi-day hikes and mountaineering expeditions. What do max statistics reveal about planning? You know, you really don't realize that <clears throat> when you're hiking, you know, on your 10th day out on the trail, all you're going to be worried about is where your next water source is or where you're going to camp or when's the next time you're going to eat. Like you don't care about the length of the socks in the box that you're sending to yourself at the first resupply stop in Washington and, you know, 2000 miles, like that information, you know, it doesn't matter how much you planned it, like is not useful or important or relative to anything that's going on. So the one piece of planning advice I try to push on people is not to plan as much as they think they they need to plan, or at least like to invest that time into something like saving more money or doing a, a hike with your backpack and the shoes and the socks that you're going to be wearing on the trail. Cause those are things that will actually translate into being helpful on the trail. I mean, um, unless you've really got a serious dietary restriction or are on a, serious time crunch or have some logistical thing that makes your situation very specific there's really not a need to spend all that time planning and like i said some people enjoy the planning part even more so than the actual hike i'm planning for a hike right now and i'm definitely over planning for it but it's also i enjoy the planning process of it you know i'm going to be out on the trail and i'm sure a lot of the stuff that I've planned is just going to be completely useless and will have been a waste of time. But me now feels better about me in the future having done all of these things. So, I mean, I understand, but it's, it's reassuring. Uh, it is. It definitely is. You, you kind of move into it and you feel, you know, more. Yeah. And it's hard to take people at their word. Cause I'm guilty of this too. You know, like I remember in 2013, there was people who said to me, like, you don't need to do this or you don't need to carry this or, uh, this or that. And I was kind of of the opinion that, mm, no, I think I know what I'm doing. And then, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand miles later, I was like, oh, you know what? That person, they, they knew what they were talking about. I should have listened to them. But, you know, some things you just have to experience for yourself to really, you know, appreciate it. Let's talk about your big choice, northbound or southbound. Because when we did it 20 years ago, there was very, very few southbound hikers. Now it's a very realistic choice. With a high success rate. It it is it is a real choice. It's still overwhelmingly northbound hikers. And it's it's kind of become even more of like a, a meta thing. Like it's it's not a logistical thing for a lot of people. It's just become like, oh, northbound is the way that you hike the trail, which you know, obviously you can hike in either direction, but there is this kind of false sense of rivalry or competition between northbound and southbound hikers and it's almost as if if you meet somebody who hiked the pct southbound and you've hiked it northbound it's like you don't relate to them at all it's like they've hiked a completely <laughs> different trail than you which in in some regards like is 
could you know you could make yeah. a case it's true but it also is i don't know and it's like when when they're crossing each other on the trail there's like tension between the northbound hikers and the southbound hikers like i remember in 2013 it was like a wow a, a mantra like you know never trust a southbounder like they'll, they'll always give you wrong information like they just started their hikes you know like one state ago and we've hiked through california and oregon but it's i don't know it's 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 a weird dynamic that exists between the northbounders and the southbounders and it shouldn't and i wish it didn't because i mean and also nowadays the southbounders end up not hating, but being incredibly annoyed by northbounders because imagine you're a southbound hiker and you're passing just, you know, hundreds, of if course. not thousands of people every couple of days. And it's when they're like passing through the northbound bubble, it must just be, you know, I'm the kind of person that talks to everybody on the trail and says hi to everybody. But I can imagine if I was seeing it, you know, a hundred people a day and each one of those interactions was going to take, you know, two minutes, three minutes, like that's a lot of time to just spend mm being friendly and chatting to people. <laughs> do, do they do they give reasons to for their decisions to do for, you know the direction they go and I'm wondering why the southbounders choose to to do it that way the southbounders given the kind of like the the proper way <laughs> that many people now think of it as northbound. Yeah, so I ask southbound hikers and I, I feel like i should ask northbound hikers too now that i think of it but i asked southbound hikers specifically why they chose to hike southbound and typically it's because of the timing working better for people so people will begin a northbound hike in april or may typically and they'll finish in uh like august september mm -hmm. and then but meanwhile, you don't begin a southbound hike typically until like early July or late June because of all the snow in Washington. And then you can finish a southbound hike as, you know, I was actually at the Southern Terminus uh, in December of this year, almost at the or of last year, at close to the end of the year, and met a group of four or five hikers who are finishing. So, I mean, you can finish as late as December, but typically people will finish sometime in October, November. Uh, for a southbound hike. So, you know, just based on work or school or whatever somebody has going on in their life, uh, southbound logistically could be just the obvious choice for them as far as, you know, being able to make a PCT through hike happen. And, and But 54% of them are saying to avoid crowds. So mm -hmm. I wonder whether that's not only kind of campsite uh, competition, but also towns, because, uh, because, I yeah, I imagine the town experience has changed a little bit too for the north for the northbounders. So I, I wonder if that has something to do with that as well. Avoiding crowds is a real thing. I mean, obviously you have to deal with the crowd that is the northbound bubble passing you, but I think yeah, typically you'll be a lot more uh, on your own in a lot of the areas of the trail because not a lot of people hiking, you know, early season up in Washington and in the snow and then by the time you get to the Sierra, it's already, you know, past the height of summer. So you're not going to have all the John Muir trail hikers out there as well. Um, or even just the, you know, the people out because school's not in session. So it, it like, like I said, there is the case to be made that it is a much different hike uh, from a northbound hike. But um, I mean, I'll, eventually the, you know, number of people going southbound might match the number of people going northbound, who knows? So, you know, the crowds might just be an issue regardless of which direction you're hiking. Uh, Flip-flopping becomes quite a thing now with fires, doesn't it? 
Yeah, flip-flopping is sad. I am not a, a huge proponent of flip-flopping. I, we better I think define that, that actually. <laughs> yeah, so flip, flip-flopping is basically, let's say you're hiking the trail northbound. A flip-flop would be, a, a typical situation is you get to Kennedy Meadows, which is the unofficial start of the Sierra Nevada, and you say to yourself, oh, there's way too much snow and this is actually a bad example because this isn't something that's allowed to happen on a PCT permit anymore. Logistically, it's a little more complicated. But just for the sake of this explanation, we'll say you get to Kennedy Meadows, you decide there's too much snow, and so you flip-flop. And the flip is you, say, go up to the Oregon border, and then you hike southbound to Lake Tahoe. And then the flop is you go back to Kennedy Meadows, and then you hike northbound to Lake Tahoe. And you can hike in any direction after flip-flopping. It, it basically just means you're moving from one part of the trail to another part of the trail, hiking another part of the trail, and then either returning to that original place that you left or hiking back to that original place that you left and kind of making up those miles later on. And that can, that can happen because of weather, because of fires, because of, you know, just personal logistical reasons, the whole bunch of different reasons for flip-flopping exist. But it looks at your statistics there, 82.6% had to do it because of fire. Or, or yeah. of, of those who did flip-flop, 82.6% did it because of fire. And that was last year, because last year there were some really significant fires. Like in, in 2019, the last time I was out on the PCT, that number was much more heavily in favor of snow. So mm -hmm. it definitely... But fire and snow are typically the two biggest reasons because those are kind of the two things, especially fire, is you can't do anything about it. You you're you're forced to uh, either skip that section of the trail completely or just flip flop because you know if the trail is closed, what are you going to do? I mean, you could wait maybe a day, maybe a month, maybe two months for the fire closure to lift, but you know that's not always a very practical decision. <laughs> Although we should say that only 22% of thru-hikers actually did flip-flop last year. Yeah, yeah. And because a lot of people might just skip the fire closure and then not go back and hike it. You know, some people might say they flip-flopped if they skipped the fire closure, hiked to the finish, and then, you know, came back to wherever that fire closure was to hike it after they finished the trail. And, you know, logistically and financially, that can be a burden for a lot of people, you know, to all of a sudden make your way back to the middle of Northern California, somewhere on the trail and to hike those miles that you missed because of the fire. So a lot of people, I think, will just miss a section of trail and say, well, that's just not part of my PCT through hike this year. This leads us to ask, what is a successful through hike? What if you skipped whole sections for whatever reason, hitchhiked or took the bus? Can you claim to have done a through-hike in MAC statistics and the ones held by the Pacific Crest Trail Association? The safest, most general definition of a successful through-hike is whatever you define as a successful through-hike. But you you aren't wrong in, in saying that like there has arisen a kind of complication around like what is a through-hike and not just in the sense of like, what is through hiking the PCT, but what is a through hike in general? Like, you know, if I did a day hike of this 30 mile trail, like, is that a through hike or did I just go on a regular hike? But leaving that aside, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's people who are known as purists and those are people who believe you have to walk a 
unbroken footpath of the entire trail for that to count as a through hike, you know? So if you hitchhike into town, when you hitchhike back to where you left the road, you better step exactly where you stepped when you got into that car to make sure your steps aren't unbroken. And, you know, if there's a fire closure, you better find a way to walk roads or walk something around that fire closure. Otherwise it doesn't count as a through hike, but then you'll have other people, you know, who are like, you know what, if there's a fire closure, I'm not going to walk 200 miles on a highway to, you know, connect my footsteps. My through hike is still a successful through hike. If I make it to the, the border, everybody has their own opinion. And, you know, it's probably more like a, a spectrum than anything. Cause then there's other people who, you know, will hitchhike from town to town and skip massive sections of trail and then, you know, they'll end up at the northern terminus or the southern terminus. And, you know, they'll say, well, I hiked the PCT or I threw hiked the PCT. And you'll have other people who are hiking who are like, well, no, you didn't because you <laughs> hitchhiked a bunch. And so it's, you know, it's it's and yeah. it, honestly, it eventually it just becomes like, well, who cares? You know, it's it's a hike. You know, if somebody wants to say they hiked, like, OK, they hiked, whatever. Like, who, who cares? There's no yeah, it's not the like real world. Yeah, there's no like invocations for it beyond what that person says. So the the PCTA it was helpful because they used to release statistics on when you finish the trail you can submit your information to the PCTA and they have like a finishers list i believe i yeah, don't know if they still have website. it anymore it's, there's a drop down yeah. thing on their website and we're not on it actually we are not on even though i filmed filled in the register at the border but you know so there's 100 136 uh, on their list finished in 2002 they they hadn't updated this in a while and I thought they had stopped, but yeah, they started updating it again. And so I'm I'm seeing for 2022, 807 completions. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I'm in 2002 the... for mine. Beg your pardon. I was I was meeting. Oh, my, oh uh, sorry. Beg your 20, yeah. 20, 2022. No, you you were right. I just got confused with all the, the, the twos and zeros. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> okay. Um okay, no. So the, so yeah, this is information I actually used to use and then they hadn't updated it in a while, but it looks like they've updated mm-hmm. it now. So yeah, 807 completions according to the PCTA in 2022 and then but but not but quite a similar sort of percentages I'm I, I just doing it very roughly in my head if we had about 300 and around 137 give or take 140 let's say finished uh, in my year 20 years ago and now you've got between 64% and 78% finishing there, there's actually been an increase in the percentage that are that are finishing which is which is great yeah i mean and i would uh you know probably assume a lot of that has to do with how well known the trails become the resources available the towns catering to hikers the you know the gear that i'm sure has changed significantly in the last 20 years you know just as far as being lighter or waterproof or more functional or you know nowadays if you have a phone it's fairly easy to navigate the pct you know you're not needing to have paper maps and a compass at all times figuring out where to go next it's a pretty well defined trail and uh you know you don't have to be an orienteer to find your way down the pct to be fair it was never really like that the the maps the we just we, we just pulled the sections out of the guidebook and and used those and that was fine i do like the, however the advice sections the advice sections that uh, are in in here are utterly amazing, completely contradictory, but both <laughs> options valid. Uh, but, yeah. And it, re- it really does 
It really does this emphasise to me just reading through them. And I would urge anybody thinking of doing the PCT, even if you don't really want to get snowblind with statistics, is to have a good look at those advice sections uh, because it emphasises this hike your own hike thing. And you could actually almost do, you could almost do a, a book of that advice. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the the advice is, and it is funny because I there is contradictory advice all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, anything you hear from one individual person, you need to remember that's just that person's experience. And absolutely, it could be completely different as far as you're concerned. But I, the biggest piece of it is advice are always, like you said, hike your own hike, like, you know, don't try to be out there for anybody but yourself. And then just really be flexible, be adaptable, you know, things aren't going to go the way you planned even if you did plan every single aspect of your hike you know it's impossible to know how many miles a day you are going to be walking between the california border and the first resupply stop in oregon when you're sitting at your house you know six months before having never walked on the trail so um adaptability is definitely a huge piece of advice that i see year after year the pct is great but it's also you know, you're going to have a lot of bad times as well, you know, and I, I ask people about their, their scariest or lowest moments on the trail. Those I think are really valuable to read because, you know, it's easy to be all excited about it and, you know, just see beautiful pictures and videos and everything. But uh, what are their you know, low times and their scary times? Because they're not necessarily the same things. No, uh, I mean, a lot of people's, you know, the low moments on the trail range from people finding out that like a family member had died back home, which is, you know, something that you don't even think about being something that can happen to you on the trail, but you know, that could easily, you know, in somebody's through hike to people dropping their backpack into a river and getting all of their, you know, clothes and sleeping bag and everything completely soaked. And then having to walk out of the mountains and get to a town because, you know, they couldn't stay warm. And then, you know, scary moments on the trail, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of scary moments that revolve around other people, and it's typically people in town. You know, a lot of people like to say, oh, the, the trail is the safest place to be on the trail because people have fears of animals. Uh, they haven't spent a lot of time in the backcountry, but on the PCT, you really have no animals to worry about uh, other than maybe like mice getting into your food bag. A PCT hiker, as far as I know, has never been killed by an animal. And the last time somebody on the PCT, you know, or the last time somebody on the West Coast, I feel like, was killed by a, a bear or a, a mountain lion, it was a long time ago. And it was like probably a child. You know, those are like the things that are right in front of you. But, you know, people are scared of lightning every year. I'm scared of lightning. Lightning's scary when you're out in the mountains. But I'll tell you my scary one. Random, random gunfire in the woods. Yep, yep. Sun, Sunday afternoon, because, well, you know, we come from Scotland. The people around here have, have occasional guns when they shoot shooting deer, and that's about it. But Sunday afternoon, you know they've had a good lunch that's come out of quite a few cans, and you just see a ta 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 and you don't know if it's coming your way. Or, oh, man, that's scary. Yeah, no, every year, because you go through... Uh... Oregon typically right as hunting season is starting. So right when people are allowed to just get out there with their guns. So it's uh and bows. And bows. Yeah. And you know, I I've personally, you know, accidentally snuck up on some hung hunters before. And I'm always like, aren't you supposed to be the ones sneaking up on things out here? But it's uh yeah, is is you know, I mean, I'm from the US. I mean, I don't have a gun, but uh 
yeah, gunfire when you're just by yourself in the woods, especially if, you know, you're not used to it or you don't know where it's coming from or which direction it's going is definitely a little disconcerting. I'd urge you to check out Mac's website where all the data is compiled and all the advice. It's halfwayanywhere.com and there you'll find links to his Instagram because Mac is probably in the middle of a long hike when you hear this. Details are all in the show notes, along with a link to buy me a virtual coffee. Just a couple of dollars as a way of saying thank you because you're enjoying this podcast series. I put the money towards the hosting and production costs. Find all that at pctpodcast.com and there you'll also find a link to buy a download of our 2002 trail journal. I'm Simon Willis. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.